Hey guys, this is Mike with Pop Psych 101, and I'm here just to give you guys an upfront message about what's going to happen in this episode. If you haven't heard of the series that we're covering today, it's 13 Reasons Why, and this was a Netflix series that pretty intensively covered some harsh topics for some people. So I wanted to give basically a trigger warning out there. Uh, We're going to be talking about suicide, rape, and even substance abuse and many other things. If these are things that you're not comfortable with hearing about, then I would suggest you do not listen to this episode. If you are seriously considering taking your own life, I urge you, urge you to immediately get a hold of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. There are people there that will talk to you and get you through this low moment. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. That being said, for those of you that do listen, I hope you take away the importance of why we covered this and what our conclusion was at the end. So thank you, thank you so much for listening, and here we go. In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. As always, I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here with my executive producer, Mike Graham. That is me, the one and only Mike Graham. Thank you. So, Mike, I'm, I'm thrilled, as always, to be happy and happy to be talking to you today. Yeah. Today, we chose to talk about 13 Reasons Why. We did. Yes, we did. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm regretting that decision at this point or not. Well, you know, regretting or not, we we I think there are a lot of relevant reasons for why this is a good thing for us to cover, even though the first season came out a year and a half ago, it did. Uh, March 2017. So it's 13 Reasons Why, based on a book by Jay Asher. The second season was released, I want to say, earlier this year. We're not going to be talking about that, but if if you all out there like us talking about this weird teen drama... We're happy to go into it later. This will be season one only. <laughs> yeah, season one only. Uh, so, Ryan, I was actually get, uh, spending this time today. I was going to ask you, like, so we're three episodes in on the podcast so far. I was wondering what you're thinking of of how we're doing and, and like, the content we're putting out and everything. Uh, I'm loving it so far. It's really fun for me. I, I responded to somebody on social media – I don't know what the question was, but it was something along the lines of, like, this is playtime for a therapist – where oh, yeah, sure. like I'm not having to actually diagnose anybody, actually treat anybody. So it's all right. just like fun hypothetical scenarios and so far very entertaining um movies or now television shows that we're talking about. Right. Yeah, the research process is not like grueling or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's just I mean, it's funny. These are the types of conversations, you know, therapists have in their downtime like, "Oh, what did you think about Silver Linings Playbook? Wasn't that crazy or wasn't that weird or wasn't that good. So to be able to have a conversation like this that we get to share with other people and share our supposed expertise is is a lot of fun for me. What about you? What have you been your thoughts so far? Oh, I love it. We've talked about our other podcasts that we do. And I told you how I make that other podcast and it's just like kind of a really weird thing. So doing this and being able to be myself, especially the fact that we've, you know, the things I've come out and said and the support that's actually followed a lot of the things I said, particularly even coming on our last episode, the Silver Linings episode, it's been really good for me. It's been really good for me and my wife and my family, and there's just a lot of positivity surrounding it. And in fact, we've had people write to us on our Instagram, our Facebook, and we've had some iTunes reviews, and they've all been super positive. So it's just it's kind of an upbeat thing, and I'm really happy to to be a part of it. I did want to take this time here at the top of the episode to just let everyone know that we're going to keep doing this. This is going to be a consistent thing that we are the foreseeable future. So we're hoping to be something very reliable for you. But I do want to say it is super hard to be heard. And if you are enjoying this show, 
go to iTunes, leave us a rating, leave us a review, go to your podcast app, leave us a rating, leave us a review and subscribe. Uh, I'm not trying to like beg or anything, but the only way for us to get noticed and get our message out there of normalizing this conversation and joining that fight is to have rates and reviews because that's what the algorithms help you show up in other people's feeds. So that's why I'm asking that. Or you can also suggest movies or TVs or books for us. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we are picking ones that we are aware of or we know are popular, but we'd we'd be happy to cover ones that are slightly less known um, if people have a strong interest in them. So we're very much open. Yeah, if you as a listener, like I would love to hear you guys talk about that, like Ryan and I will talk about that, you know, because this is not just a two-way conversation, so. That's right, yeah, And, and to that effect, this conversation is happening in the world as well. You know, people are dealing with these issues day to day, week to week, month to month. And we're talking about 13 Reasons Why. There are a lot of reasons why we picked it. We wanted to do a TV show, I think, uh, to, to shift from the movies. Instead of a movie, yeah. Yeah, but also a lot of the themes that are happening in 13 Reasons Why are also happening in the real world. That's right. And, and it continues. It was released a year and a half ago, but I think the themes continue. And there's some trends that are continuing and being perpetuated that I think we need to talk about. All right. So with that, let's jump into 13 Reasons Why. Let's do it. Hey, it's Hannah. Hannah Baker. Don't adjust your whatever device you're hearing this on. It's me. Live and in stereo. No return engagements. No encore, and this time, absolutely no requests. Get a snack. Settle in. Because I'm about to tell you the story of my life. More specifically, why my life ended. And if you're listening to this tape, you're one of the reasons why. I'm not saying which tape brings you into the story, but fear not. If you receive this lovely little box, your name will pop up. I promise. The rules here are pretty simple. There are only two. Rule number one, you listen. Number two, you pass it on. Hopefully neither one will be easy. It's not supposed to be easy, or I would have emailed you an mp3. When you're done listening to all 13 sides, because there are 13 sides to every story, Rewind the tapes, put them back in the box, and pass them on to the next person. Today, guys, we are talking about 13 Reasons Why, a Netflix TV series about and centered around a suicide in a community. Uh, There are basically 13 main characters. I'm not going to go over actors' names today because we don't want to have to read 26 names and confuse everyone, but the main people that will probably get brought up are going to be uh, Clay Jensen, Hannah Baker, Tony Padilla, Jessica Davis, Justin Foley, Bryce Walker, Alex Standall, Zach Dempsey, Tyler Down. That looks like the main, main people that we're going to be concentrating on. And all of these people are involved in a suicide. Hannah Baker commits suicide, leaves behind 13 tapes of reasons why she committed suicide on each tape is a featured person, one of the names I just read off, and these featured people, the, the episode will follow the reason why she was driven to the links that she was driven to. And to be honest with you, that's the basic synopsis of, of this whole thing. A, a girl kills herself, leaves behind tapes that say, you are the reasons why I killed myself, here are the reasons why I killed myself, and they are are spent, especially the main character, Clay Jensen, is spent picking up the pieces and trying to figure out where they went wrong. Yeah, great, great summary. I think it's when it came out last year, it was a whole sort of controversy, you know, because it while it doesn't, I wouldn't say glorify suicide, it does portray it in a very stark, um, you know, and, and honestly, towards the end of the, the show, they actually show it. Yeah. I had to skip that part. So parents and, and schools and therapists were, were up in arms. And and I think there's reason behind that. Yeah, of course. I think, th- I th- yeah, I, I don't think, and in my personal opinion, I don't think the reason to be up in arms about that is the graphic 
ness of it at all. And I think that can really get us started on this conversation. Now, guys, we're not going to be going over each episode and the plots and things like that. We're just going to be talking around the overall overall mental health themes. And so that brings me to the point of Ryan and I's show, him being a therapist, me being a patient, not his, but is to examine mental health in the media. And so we, you know, I sat down to watch this. And the main thing that I realized, Ryan, was not the graphic depictions and straightforwardness of them showing rape, suicide, assault, substance abuse, but was the fact that they did not approach the mental health reasonings behind someone being driven to that. There was no what is behind this. It was just this is. And I had a problem with that. Yeah, so that's true. Um, you, You don't hear a lot of mention of the words depression, anxiety, PTSD. You know, so in that sense, it was a very sort of subtle depiction of mental health issues. I mean, as a therapist watching, you can easily, I would say, easily point out some of the problems that I just mentioned. But but you're absolutely right. And and part of that is because the, we might say, negligible way in which the school and parents handle the problems that are going on. Right. It's a tough way to to be presenting these mental health issues without acknowledging them from what they are and actually sort of more dramatizing the sort of interactions that happen between the students as a result. Correct. And I agree with that. Uh, but I think where my, my, my big issue with 13 Reasons Why is that it's, it, it wasn't the fact that, they, that they've done this and they dramatized it and, and made it interesting. I'm glad they made it interesting. That's what we're trying to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. We're trying to make an interesting, entertaining thing so we can tell a narrative and get a conversation going and, and spread education. It was the fact that there was no attempt to spread education and it was only after a backlash, actually, that happened to the show after its release that they even put a PSA at the beginning of the shows uh, before the show started. That's very true. And, and that's what I was talking about up front where, you know, parents and therapists and schools all had this big backlash when the show came out because it wasn't treated with the kind of care that you might want entertainment, which, let's face it, is, is, is intended for children. You know, the show is, is, is advertised for high schoolers, probably, and younger, right? Because when you're in grammar school, you want to watch the things that the high schoolers are watching. And there was very little, I think, you know, whether it be warnings or, or education about mental health aspects, about what the, these students are going through. I remember, I remember when this show came out, we had, I personally had a lot of patients come in whose parents said, oh, you know, they've been watching this show. Now they, all they talk about is, you know, is suicide or all they talk about is sexual assault and rape. And, you know, I'm worried about them. Or I had kids already in treatment who saw this and then had questions or or fears. And yeah, it it really scared a lot of people. I mean, I bet it's, we can, we can start off by saying, Absolutely. Maybe we we don't agree with the way it was initially put out. I'm super happy that they came behind and added a PSA. It needed one. The fact that they didn't go into a lot of the mental health issues, uh, I think doubly made the PSA need to be there so that people understood that this these are disturbing topics. But I guess going forward, let's kind of take a look at the main character kind of starting from, you know, quote unquote, the beginning, you know, we don't have to go through every single thing, but let's look at Hannah Baker, talk about what her motivations are and and kind of just sort out what's going on with her. It's tough because we don't see her having any interactions with any professionals until the end of the the first season with Mr. Porter. Literally the last episode. That's right. Now we know that it's sort of building up to that. She just sort of hints at Mr. Porter not being a particularly helpful person. Mr. Porter being the counselor in the high school. At the school, that's right, yep. So all we really have to go on are the interactions that we see Hannah have with her friends. And as we mentioned, she experiences a lot of, we'll just say, traumatic um, events, you know, over the course of a short time span. Um, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what time span they, they present the, the first season as. 
or the buildup to Hannah's suicide, but I think it's around a year. Yeah, I would say, because it goes from sophomore year through summertime and into junior year. And in that course of time, she experiences, uh, we would probably say, multiple sexual assaults of varying degrees. And then at the end, she is raped by one of the characters, Bryce. Right. So based on those experiences alone, we can surmise that she's dealing with a certain amount of PTSD, trauma. In the final episode with Mr. Porter, she even says something to the degree of, you know, I feel nothing. Emotionless. She's got this 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 numbness. Yeah, this numbness, this emotionless state. And when things get get really serious for her, you can tell from from the end that she is experiencing hopelessness as well. Right. It doesn't feel like things are gonna get better. She's sort of feeling worthless. So these are all hallmarks of a pretty serious depression, if not PTSD, sort of on top of that. So so things are really difficult for Hannah and it's tough because we have to balance that with the fact that she brings a recording device into to Mr. Porter's office when she finally does go to meet with him. So, so she's also struggling to cope appropriately. You know, she had started making these tapes, obviously, before she finally followed through on her suicide attempt. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a really intense year for Hannah, to say the least. So, I mean, the, the, the show doesn't help you understand Hannah's decision. In fact, a lot of the characters continually say throughout the season, and especially towards the end, and especially Mr. Porter, the counselor, this was Hannah's decision. We can't stop that. She's the one that made this decision. Now, there's a part of me that agrees with that. As a person who has gone through suicidal thoughts with suicidal ideations and intrusive thoughts like these, I know that this is your decision. I get that. But... There are outside factors that play with your head and with your mind that can drive you to considering these things and then further drive, drive you to taking them seriously. So I, I'm wanting to kind of explore. We, we said, you know, she did get sexually assaulted. Uh, my, my big question here is what I saw at the very beginning, she one of the first encounters she has is a big embarrassment. I would say the uh, sexual assault as far as taking a picture that was unwanted, spread it around of her. This is every teenage girl's nightmare, right? Absolutely, yeah. The first thing that happens to her. I've read a lot online of people not understanding Hannah's perspective and not understanding uh, even before the violent rape that happens towards the end of the season, even before that, people are saying, I don't get why she's considering suicide at this point. Okay, so I, I want to point out, once again, this is geared towards teenagers. And teenagers, their minds aren't developed yet. This is traumatic. This is a traumatic event. Can you imagine it, it, it being 16 and 17 years old and having your underwear up your skirt being showed around school to all of your friends uh, or people that you thought were your friends, and now they're, even if they aren't completely, but thinking they're laughing at you. So I think that this begins a an, an embarrassment that because of subsequent events, she never was able to get over. My main question here, as basically every event just escalates her thinking pattern, and, and you did mention PTSD going on, but someone to experience these things in real life where they are not able to, A, actively seek help, B, and I don't want to say this in any bad light, but move, like try to move past things and, and use self-confidence to get over them. And, not, and I don't mean to get over. This is, I'm not trying to disparage her, her experience at all. I want to right because that's that's sort of what what uh, sorry Miss Chapter Mister Porter sort of does in that climactic interaction with her was just they talk about the um, the rape that she's experiences and he basically says you know the only other choice is to move on basically if she wasn't willing to name the boy that raped her if you can't give me evidence then you just need to move on move on yep mm -hmm. so so what I'm saying is she does not have to do that but what. In your experience in therapy and with patients and all the experience you've had with substance abuse and uh, counseling and everything like this, what is going on in a person's head to where 
they aren't able to kind of use that section that is sort of natural to a lot of us and that is to shake things off and not put them in the like such extreme category where they stay. Yeah, it's a great question because, and and you mentioned differences in, in young adults, teenagers' brains, right? They're not fully formed. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest issues when it comes to these traumatic events is that, and, and there's been some fascinating research in, in this range along ADD, ADHD, is that essentially teenagers have and perceive time differently. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's interesting because also in response to the outroar they produced a secondary Netflix special, 13 Reasons Why I Did, called like After 13 Reasons or 13's Reasons Why Later, whatever it is. It's, 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 it's on there. What's that show from MTV? The one where they were all in the house? Real World? Yeah. It's a real world reunion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A reunion, a reunion show. And they, they do talk with some experts and they have some of the writers and they try to go into more of the mental health and the character decisions to give and sort of explain some of these issues that we're having with the show. But they, they do talk about this, this issue, which is that young adults, essentially, they can experience a traumatic event and be unable to conceive of that trauma ending. So everything bad that's happening, they have a hard time sort of seeing the end of that bad thing happening. It's an always thing. Yes. So this bad thing has happened, and you are in school with these people who it is happening with, and there, there's no end in sight to that traumatic event. And we see that we see that for multiple characters. Uh, uh, Alex Standall. Hannah's friend, Jessica. Yeah, yeah. And to kind of relate this to my, like, layman's way of thinking, when I was a teenager, I was invincible always for the rest of time. You know, mortality wasn't an issue, which it plays into the fact that a teenager, I'm not even sure, is, can can comprehend what their suicide even means as far as ending their life and the permanence of that. Yeah, yeah, we we often call suicide a permanent solution to a, a temporary problem. problem. Yeah, yeah. Because of that that very thing that, you know, teenagers when they're feeling suicidal, they're looking for that permanent fix to what feels like a permanent problem whether that be the trauma they're experiencing, cyberbullying is is a big thing that's covered in the show, things like slut-shaming once you're perceived a certain way, the fear that you're going to be perceived this way forever. So there are a lot of things that, for teenagers, when, when the bad thing happens in this environment that they're in five days out of the week, ten months out of the year, it feels like it's never going to end. And I mean, in high school, felt like it was never going to end. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. generally, just being there in, you know, four years of high school felt like the rest of your life. So I can only imagine. And so this is why, where I disagreed with a lot of things I read online was I had complete, complete sympathy for the character, Hannah. I think that she had every reason to start thinking the way that she thinks. But the bigger question relating to the way you and I are looking at things, Ryan, is I don't necessarily think that there's a mental health problem here yet. I think this is just a teenager's way of thinking. So what, at what point are you referring to? Uh, towards the beginning when she's not able to to compartmentalize these these sort of intense experiences that are happening to her. Sure. So so just based on like the cyberbullying and to a certain extent the slut shaming. Correct. Um so unfortunately so, are, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's not to take away the seriousness and the the devastating impact that these events can have, excuse me, but absolutely in terms of, you know, diagnosable mental health issues, the the earliest signs that we see for, for Hannah is when she starts to separate from some of her social relationships. Right. You know, the, the communication with family starts to change. There, there are signs that happen later on in the, this, the first season. But yeah, certainly early on, she's dealing with some really intense social issues. Mm-hmm. The extent to which she can adjust and cope with those are, are very difficult. She is in a situation where she has some friends and this is another theme throughout the show, none of these kids feel like they have anybody to talk to, whether that be their parents or Mr. Porter in the school. There is very little appropriate like emotional processing happening. I don't think it's quarantined to just this high school. I think that's... No, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the environment of teenage life almost. And it is feeling misunderstood. So... This just keeps playing into the fact that the way things are portrayed here are being portrayed back to teenagers 
who are in this line of thinking, and it, it's you have to be so careful. So going forward, things start escalating. Uh, she she has a friend named Clay Jensen. I would call him the hero of the season, the hero of the series. There are, you know, we're not going to beat around the bush because, you know, we're not trying to, you know, spoilers are all over the place and it's not really our concern, but he he's the only one that that loves her and is not a, does not have any sort of selfish reasons behind it. Now, he's not perfect by any means, but Clay is never out to to take advantage of Hannah and and he places a lot of blame on himself. So I have questions about Clay and his reaction uh, as a lot of children and kids and teenagers are going to react to a suicide around a high school. They're going to feel it, even if they weren't close. I've seen it happen. I've seen when I was in high school, we had some friends, unfortunately, and tragically pass. And it, the kids gravitate towards it um, in a big way. But someone even close to that, how is how is Clay doing? Like as far as the way he's handling these situations, he's definitely vigilant. He's definitely trying. There's revenge things happening, but he he blames himself very very much so towards the end. And I'm wondering like what your thoughts were on his blaming of himself and everything. Yeah. So you mentioned the sort of collateral damage of suicide, and and again, according to research, like. Something like six people are very intimately impacted from the average suicide. And obviously, we're, we're talking generally, but especially high school age, where kind of everyone knows everyone. Even if you didn't know the person that committed suicide, that becomes part of the conversation at the school. Well, and you're sure to have had a class. And, and as a result, people who, who know someone that has committed suicide have a higher risk of suicide themselves as we see later on in season one. And we'll get to that. But I think for Clay, you know, and obviously some of the things that are depicted in the show are for dramatic effect. If he's actually talking to Hannah, we have some concerns. So I do that. That's I guess I didn't make it clear. That's that's one of the big questions I have. Clay starts experiencing delusions. And I thought it unfortunately thought, well, this is the only mental health like problem visually shown in this series. Well, shown with that sort of blatant um, yes. presentation, yeah. Yes, correct. Sorry, yeah. right? No, it's okay I, because I think I think you're right that there are no like super obvious symptoms portrayed. Although, um, and we can talk about Jessica as well, who goes through some a sexual assault of her own. For for Clay specifically, if he is talking to a friend who has committed suicide, and it's not entirely clear if that's if it's being presented in a way that's supposed to be just in his head. And he's thinking about her being there as he's listening to the tapes of her talking, or if right. he's actually seeing her and actually well, talking to someone. Well, he does have those. He has those moments where he's acting out in public on accident because he's in his imagination so much. So to that extent, I don't know that we would we would diagnose him with anything up and up at, at this point unless we do right. think that he's actually seeing her. So really, from for for Clay, it's a little bit similar what we've been talking about, this sort of PTSD, so this thing has happened. Okay, so he's experiencing, like, there's a lot of stress going on here for him. Yes. Um, so he his, his quote-unquote trauma is knowing this person, this person that he was very intimate with, as the show portrays, who committed suicide, but now through the tapes is is forcing him to relive all the events leading up to her suicide. So right. to that extent, you know, even if he wasn't having flashbacks now as a result of these tapes is sort of reliving all the various traumas that Hannah experienced. So so certainly some concerns there. What kind of long term effects? Okay, so I, I have a, a big opinion on Hannah leaving the tapes. Now, it's a, not uncommon to leave a suicide note. This is totally different. And this goes to my opinion, the the writing and the just poor way they they put this down. I mean, it's displayed as this mystery, right? Mm -hmm. It's a mystery. It's not a. It's not an exploration into any of the things that they're trying to claim. It is, in my opinion, it's just this cool, intriguing mystery. And one of the things that really, really, really got to me was Hannah is still around, and it's cool to kill yourself. Yeah, I guess for me, the tapes feel 
like and I almost tried to ignore them as they were telling the story, almost like picturing picturing it that it was just like flashbacks and flash forwards, because that's all it really felt like to me was a storytelling device. You know, the the now the tapes do have obviously a plot impact as they're passed from person to person, but in terms of the the fact that Hannah created them, it it does say a lot about how angry she was. It does say a lot about how broken she was to feel like this was an impact that she wanted people to have that she right. in essence also wanted other people to hurt and, and not to say that's not justified obviously as we described she experienced a lot of horrible events at the end of the series you have i guess what 12 kids 12 yeah and one adult yep 12 kids and one adult most of which are seemingly left sort of broken at the end i'm wondering what kind of what can this do to a young person if this were to be real life and maybe they did have let me take Zach as an example Zach is the very tall basketball player uh sort of one of the star jocks his role in one of Hannah Hannah's tapes is he liked her uh however i would say at the wrong time unbeknownst to him, maybe if he was a little brighter, he could have seen the signs not to kind of step in when he did. She had just experienced a couple of pretty intense encounters with guys who did not care about her as a person whatsoever. However, I don't think he had a lot of bad intentions. He he kind of swoops in and he asks her out. And I think that he meant it, it from what I've seen. Uh, she did reject him and she sh- she wasn't prepared for a relationship at that time. Uh, and I'm not going to to bag on her for the way she went about it. She was experiencing something he didn't know what was going on. But I, I think out of all the people, he had the least to do. However, she does include him on this tape. So now here's a kid who has to deal with repercussions that, in my mind, I don't really think he had a lot to do with. I think he his fault was just a dumb teenager move that was— that was not nearly to the extent of other things. But now he's got to live with this tape that has his name on it, like— what kind of effects is this going to have on a real life teenager? Yeah, it's it's tough to say because the the sort of conceit of these tapes being created does feel so um I won't say science fictiony, but it feels yeah. super super like something out of a well, it's a mystery novel. Oh, well yeah, a weird a weird teenage drama or or yeah, something to that effect. But yeah, so so for someone like Zach and and really we're talking about all the sort of periphery characters, right? If you're not one of the quote unquote, six people, you know, or in this case, 12 or 13 people intimately impacted. There's this whole circle of people that are just, let's say, tangentially impacted, where they knew her, or they asked her out, or they had a class with her, or they were her parents, obviously, which is a whole other thing we can talk about, or other mm-hmm. kids, other kids, parents, teachers. So all of these people, you know, no matter how directed, how directly they were sort of involved with Hannah are going to have their own sort of stress response to whatever degree they blame themselves. And as we're, we're talking about that, obviously we, for the most part, do not feel people should be blaming themselves for someone else's suicide. Correct. Nonetheless, and, and this is something we, we talk about a lot in um, treatment of trauma, you know, we have these sort of underlying beliefs that are formed as a result of traumatic experiences with someone like Zach. It's possible, unfortunately, for people who experience this type of trauma to feel like to to form the the negative belief of I am unlovable or I mm. or for me loving someone is dangerous or for me everyone I love runs away or you know all these yeah. so so for for people like Zach and and other people who experienced interactions with Hannah it's super super important to be able to to process this, whether it be with a therapist or or teacher, teacher, parent, or the, somebody, or the school counselor, yeah, ideally, right? Do you have issues with, right? Yeah, yeah, we can. Be, we're <laughs> going to get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be able to sort of challenge these automatic assumptions about themselves as a result of their part in this trauma, you know, what am I taking away from this experience? Because if I'm taking away the fact that I can't love people because they will kill themselves or because they'll run away, you know, then that is a dangerous belief for me to carry with me onward in my life. 
A quick break to talk about Sanomind. Sanomind is an app available for iOS and soon to be on Android that serves as a mental health wellness platform, connecting you to audio content created by licensed mental health professionals. You can listen to audio content on a vast array of mental health topics and learn more about your favorite contributors. Sanomind hopes to be a resource for people who don't have access to mental health therapists in their area. And as such, we are honored to be the first and right now the only podcast available on the Sanomind platform. So definitely check out their app. And now back to Pop Psych 101. All right, Mike, and we're back. So we're, we're talking about sort of the impact on all the different students of Hannah's suicide. And I find myself wondering, you know, for high schoolers in general, it's such a hard time to be coping with the seriousness of these issues in, in my research. And I, I can't believe I was surprised by this as a therapist. Nonetheless, suicide is actually the second leading cause of death for teenagers. Oh, my God. No, I, I mean, I had no idea. So, so imagine, you know, if you had to come up with all the, the causes of death, you know, I don't think I would get to suicide uh, for a while. So that, that was sad and, and kind of... Maybe top 10, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is that's sort of heartbreaking. Number I'm two. assuming number one is, is car accidents. Um, you know, I actually didn't look up what was number one. That's a good question. <laughs> I, just, uh, I just got to that. But yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes so people are curious. Yeah. But yeah, so so high school was a hard time to be dealing with this stuff. And I also found myself wondering, you know, you've you've been open on this podcast about your own experiences with mental health issues. To what extent did you or were you aware of your own symptoms or things that were going on for you during high school? Well, I think this is really relevant because... I was not very aware of my symptoms. I wasn't at all until I was even 19. So like just out of high school okay, was when they yeah. became apparent to me. However, in speaking with professionals and doctors and psychiatrists, that my symptoms were there already and I just didn't notice them. And I, I can look back and this is this is probably why I feel for these characters, even some of the ones that hold more of the blame namely Jessica. I'm not saying she holds blame for what happened to her. And let me start by saying that at all. She holds zero blame for what happened to her. I'm saying maybe there was some mistreatment of Hannah. And as far as that relationship goes, uh, now it is a lot of basic the way high schoolers are with each other. But but still, as far as Hannah's concerned, it was a big deal. I did not deal. Well, I did have incidents happen as a young man. And I think that I reacted a lot of the way that Jessica reacted, and I spent a lot of my high school years being not sober, and that involved drinking and drugs and parties and yeah. and uh, figuring out one way or another to get to the next time where I wasn't sober to the point where I didn't realize it was a problem till even my late 20s when a lot of people were done partying and then moved on and had careers, and I was still doing that. Now, I had a job and a decent one at that at the time, but I was, I was, um, I was still self, uh, what is the term? Self-medicating. I was still self-medicating and it took me a long, long, long time to realize that. So as a teenager, no, I had no idea I was even doing it. I thought I was having fun, but there was a lot more to it than met the eye, I suppose. Transformers reference, Transformers reference. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, well, I appreciate you sharing that because I think, you know, you mentioned Jessica, Teenagers especially have a hard time, I think, finding appropriate coping skills. You kind of go to the thing that makes you feel good or that makes you feel not bad. A lot of times, as is the case with Jessica, you know, it's it's alcohol use or drug use. Well, sure. I mean, I think that's a very human thing, even as oh, an course, adult. Of still, yeah, yeah. But especially for kids who, as you as you talked about, don't know that they're experiencing symptoms of, you know, something that adult might, might, might be like, I should talk to a doctor about this. You know, Correct. A, a kids are not going to have that awareness. I, I need to work this out. That's what you think as an adult. Whereas a kid, yeah. a lot of the times I think it begins with, okay, maybe you do have a problem. You don't know that you're dealing with it, but now you're introduced to some of these new cool things by your new cool friends. Sure. And you think you're just being new and cool when really... All of a sudden, you're the one like, hey, we should do this every Friday night, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's funny because now it's not even just drugs and alcohol. Now it's things as as common as Netflix or video games oh, gosh, or, yeah. or, you know, social media where there's this addictive and repetitive aspect to it that kids feel like using whatever it is, is 
is helping them feel good, and it probably is, but if they're using it sort of as an antidote or as self-medication to right. help them feel better from something else that they're dealing with, that's when it becomes problematic. So I just noticed that with, with a bunch of these characters. Looking at all the characters, for anyone that's listening to us right now, and, and hopefully we have younger people listening to us, if you could look at any of the characters that are using destructive coping skills, we know Jessica turns to drinking pretty hard. Uh, if you could kind of think about the characters and people maybe point out someone that is coping okay uh, and maybe point out some people that are going down a path that can lead to further issues. We used Clay as an example of, quote unquote, the hero, I think. But it's also it's tough because his parents desperately want to talk to him, desperately want him to open up about what he's going through, and he does not. And he's yeah he's being approached for let's let us help you yeah yeah so he has every opportunity to to use support that's available to him and understandably he is wrapped up in this tape having experience but in the big picture he is I guess one of the better examples of of someone who's coping he's not um, at least not that I remember getting into drugs or alcohol mm, he. No, no. He drinks one night at one of those parties, but but nothing right. that, that's painted yeah. as a as a super problematic. Very, very just like normal socially trying things, experimenting. Yeah. 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 And and in terms of people who are coping well, I still feel like I don't have a good handle on Tony, who's the guy that Hannah gives the tapes to in the first place. The you, the mysterious wizard. That's yes. what I called him. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like, I, I thought he was a ghost the whole time. I thought that was going to be his reveal. Like he wasn't he was a real. ghost. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, he's kind of painted as this like, sure, this magical or, or mysterious figure that just kind of weaves in and out of scenes, guiding Clay through this experience of having the tapes. And in the end, you're worried about him. Oh, for sure. Because the, the amount that we see of him is not a complete picture. So No, and he's holding this entire thing on his shoulders. That's and, right. And this this isn't a just a teenager thinking they have it. it he was assigned this weight. Of course, yes, that's right. That, and Hannah, Hannah gave him the tapes. Yeah. Yes, yes. I really felt for, the, for Tony in this. Like, ugh, he's got a lot, you know, on his shoulders. Unfortunately, in this show, there are more examples of kids um, not coping well than kids coping well. You could run through every character and, and unfortunately, not so great decisions that they're making, even under consideration of sort of extraordinary circumstances that they're they're experiencing. You know, whether that's Justin, who had this sort of first cyberbullying experience with Hannah, he was the one that took the picture he gets way into drinking and smoking weed and Bryce's bathhouse, um, the back house. So right. he, he's obviously, and he sort of drops out of school for periods. So he disappears. And he also, he also really starts clinging to Jessica. Yeah, very much so. Very much a um, sort of codependent relationship where they're sort of hanging on to each other in the midst of this crisis. A character like Bryce, who is more or less the villain of this show, you know, same kind of thing. His his negative coping is just sort of he manipulates, he physically hurts people in lots of different situations. And then he sort of puts on this this face of this popular guy who has it all together. When really he's got some he's got issues, oh, you know, big for time. the things that he's yeah. out there doing to people. Yeah. I mean the scene it, yeah, the scene with Jessica. And to be honest, I felt bad for Justin in this scene. He he, he tries to explain himself. Bryce is the only person that's given a crap about Justin. You know, his his mom doesn't. And, yep. he, and he just has a series of boyfriends and stepdads running through his house and they're constantly kicking him out. So the one guy that provides him shelter and, and gets him the things that he needs and shows him any love basically says, you have to let me do this. And he goes in and he, and he you know, assaults his girlfriend. And, oh, I mean, I'm just... There's so much heart going out to a lot of these kids for some things that I think isn't even under their control half of the time. Yeah. So that brings me to, well, well, did you want to talk about the counselor? Because I think we definitely need to go over well, the yeah, counselor. Well, yeah, so this, is, very this important. is the sort of, yeah, this is the high school part of dealing with mental health issues. Um, I talked in another podcast about the sort of sad state of the, the time it takes from someone experiencing the first symptoms of mental health issues to finally getting some sort of help. And I think the, the the current research shows something like five to eight years. 
Oh, wow. And I believe it. You know, it was yeah. until my mid-20s before I went to and saw my first therapist. Yeah. So the, the kids that get attention um, in high school are the, you know, the worst situations. And all the kids who are not getting help or not, not acting out. Yeah. Or not acting out. Exactly right. Essentially are flying under the radar. So Mr. Porter, and, and this is sort of another problem I have with high schools, and it's getting better, but Mr. Porter is the only school official portrayed as having any role in in assisting students with their issues or mental health. And he specifically says that he's not trained. That's right. As a student, you're wondering, well, like, Mill, then should I even talk to you about this stuff? Maybe not, right? And specifically, the, the, the last scene of the season when Hannah meets with Mr. Porter and I'm checking off suicide warning signs as she's talking to him, in some ways glosses over those signs that I'll talk about and really starts to focus on this, this sexual assault that she experiences and tries to get her to say the name. Meanwhile, she has expressed some very serious signs of not just depression, but suicidality. And he jumps into... It should be obvious if there was yeah. a trained counselor well, yeah, sitting of in course. front of her. Right, yeah. and, and that's what I was saying. You know, High schools are starting, and schools in general, are starting to do better about having not just trained mental health professionals, but but professionals in the school who that is their only job. Because a lot of times in the past, I certainly when I was in high school, you know, you're, the person that you would talk to about issues was also your guidance counselor, was also the person that worked on your schedule, was also the person that worked on your college applications. So they had a lot of hats. You know, the, the opportunity for students to get help was few and far between. So Hannah is trying to get help from Mr. Porter, sort of, and you can tell she's sort of at the end of her rope when she goes into her his office. And she is, as I mentioned before, recording the interaction so you can tell even though she goes to see him, it's sort of half-hearted, like she's considering this is like her last-ditch effort before she follows through with these plans. Maybe she's not even sure why she's recording it, but she needs it. Yeah, so, and and she starts talking to him about how she's feeling, and she's basically numb, and then she she goes into what happened the, the previous weekend at the party, and Mr. Porter immediately latches onto that. And Hannah can tell Mr. Porter is not in a position that he wants to talk to her about this stuff. It's it's very obvious. Yeah, his phone is ringing. His pager is buzzing. Yep. His, you know, he's getting phone calls left and right. And now he is, uh, to his credit, he is doing the thing where he's like sh- trying to shut it up. But he, he, at this point, he should have that stuff turned off. He should be turning it off and being like, there's no more issue. There shouldn't be another phone ringing at this point. And not only that, but the fact that, oh, I'll talk about the suicide warning signs, but the fact that he lets her walk out of his office after the conversation that they had. You know, without a safety plan, without any sort of follow up, mm. without without, hey, what are you doing next? Or what class are you in next? Or what are you doing tonight? Right. Not a single plans? question. Yeah, not a single question. And he doesn't know. He can't even know where he could go check up on her later in the day. So it's just it's a failure, not just on him. Obviously, it's a lot of layers to this, but but as a therapist, and I know again, he's not trained, which is we can compare right. to the problem with school systems and not having enough uh, mental health professionals. In that moment, that absolutely is a failure. And Clay, you know, sort of calls him out on that when he gives Mr. Porter the tapes. He's sort of the next victim. Yeah. And there's Clay exacting vengeance again. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Which sometimes is deserved. Uh, But I think the reason, and guys, we always know that that we're covering fiction here. But it's it's stuff like this when Ryan, the first thing he messages me about is the counselor. It's because this stuff is real. Like, this is... This is a real person in a real room somewhere who's not who's not taking the right steps, who isn't asking the right questions when they need to be. And that's an important part of this conversation. Like Ryan just said, there's not enough mental health professionals. And as our goal is to perpetuate this conversation and push it forward, we need to highlight the fact that that's that's just very real. And not only not only is it real for for Hannah and the school. But, you know, Mike, you and I are both parents. Oh, God. And uh, I haven't both put have... my mind there yet, Ryan. Uh, all right. Well, I'm not, I'm not going tr- to I'm not going to trigger you. But the, the parents are, are doing their best, I guess, is the way that we, we would describe them being portrayed in the movie or the show. For, so for parents of kids with mental health issues, there are a lot of things both to take from the show and to kind of not take from the show. So that bra- that brings me to what I was going to ask you. So I, I've been. I, I had just such strong opinions. I had to look up and see if they were corroborated anywhere. I found a lot of articles that that thought the same way I did, but I'm just going to read you a few quotes 
from a couple of articles real quick. I won't I won't read a lot about it, but if you could just tell me what your opinions are, whether you agree, disagree, if it's something that it, you know, is a conversation you're having as a therapist with other professionals or you know, things like this. So, a couple the two articles I'm going to highlight right here. One is uh, written by Elena Premack Sandler on psychologytoday.com. Her article is titled 13 Reasons Why 13 Reasons Why, 13 Reasons Why Isn't Getting It Right. And I selected this one because of the website it's on, but also the fact that it's listicle and that's very easy for us to talk about. And the other one is on a website I'm furthering to, to just like more and more, and that's Vox, Vox.com. This is written by Constant Grady, and this one's called 13 Reasons Why Says It's Confronting Tough Truths About Suicide and Bullying. It's not. So uh, first we'll talk, we'll talk about the 13 Reasons Why it isn't getting it right. And I'll just read one here. Uh, and it was the first thing I thought, and that is 13 reasons why focuses on a narrow narrative that implies that bullying leads to suicide. No one thing leads to suicide. And many people who experience bullying or sexual assault or any of the other very, very challenging experiences Hannah faces do not go on to attempt suicide. So, uh, yeah, so a classic researcher or therapist phrase is correlation does not mean causation. But what I will say is that even though bullying does not cause suicide, and I wish I had this, the, the statistics in front of me, but the number of teenagers who commit suicide, the sort of factors that are identified afterwards, bullying is one that pretty frequently comes up. Um, the other thing I wanted to read from her article is... Suicide is not, as middle school teacher Elizabeth Payton writes, the ultimate F you to all the people that you leave behind. Yes, people who are affected by a suicide will remember the person who died, but suicide does not exact revenge. Yeah, I do definitely agree with that one. And it's, it's sad when, when you think about the, the sort of damage that Hannah did, but also just in larger, a larger um, sense, the damage that, that really anyone does when they commit suicide— the damage might feel like it's only to them, and whether they are trying to commit uh, revenge or not, it's it's not the kind of, in other words, the, the result is not going to be what they wanted it to be. Okay, so uh, last thing I'll read before, before my last question of the day, and this is from the Vox article, uh, Constance Grady, and one thing stood out to me, and I think that this was, if I was going to talk to my 20-year-old sister a year and a half ago when this came out, this is probably what I would have said if I had known to say it this way. 13 reasons why is trauma porn parading is woke media, and I advise anyone considering suicide, especially teen girls, to stay far away from it, writer Laura Zach tweeted. So I would definitely agree that anyone experiencing suicidal thoughts, depression, PTSD, do not watch this show. I totally agree with that. There's not a lot to be found on the show in terms of um, hope. It it's, ends, it's, it's just sad. It's right. It's not a show that, that you, you, the episode ends and you feel sort of wholesome and hopeful about the direction that all these kids' lives are heading. And it, it even goes further off the rails in season two, which we can talk about. But Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that later on. Yeah, yeah. So trauma porn, I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. I okay. think one of the things that I struggle with is that they present every, I won't say every, but... Almost every type of problem a teenager could experience all happened to this very small group of kids in this one high school in a very short time span. So right. to that to that extent, it, it might feel like trauma porn. Like, really, in these 13 group of kids, you have a suicide and you have drug addiction and you have multiple sexual assaults and you have um, parents that aren't there. Yeah, just and... like problem, 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 problem. And that's not to say that there are not high schools where all these problems exist. For sure, that happens. But the way it's portrayed does feel a bit like, really? Like, this is going on, too, with the same group of kids? Yeah, poor kids. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why I think well, I just, poor yeah. kids, man. Yeah. That's going to lead me to, I think, what you can probably agree is the most important part of today. Uh, Mr. Uh, Counselor Porter missed, at, missed out on the signs of Hannah's impending attempted suicide that was successful. However sad that is, I think something that we all need to know, what are the signs that someone is seriously considering suicide so that we can be aware and, and do anything we can to, to stop it before it happens and before someone takes 
a step that they can't they can't take back. Yeah, and I would I would encourage anybody who is curious to watch that sort of scene with Mr. Porter because as Hannah is talking to him, it, I would I would say even not trained people could pick a couple things out. It's obvious that she comes into the office and she's sort of doesn't know what to talk about. She's just sort of in this daze and he gets her to focus on, "Well, how are you feeling right now?" And she still can't really answer. There's there's she's sort of feeling numb, she's not feeling anything. So that's a, a big first warning sign is this sort of numbness, numbness. Or, or lack of caring about, and that's the, the next thing that she starts talking about is she doesn't care about her family or her friends or what happens to her or what happens to her. That's right. Yeah. And then, so, so that's another point is that when you start to either lose interest in the sort of things that are typically important to you, whether that obviously be yourself, your health or relationships with friends and family um, I think she skips school, like she leaves school after talking to Mr. Porter. So, you know, things yes. like skipping school, obviously substance abuse being a, a concerning sign or access to medication, talking about medication. Some of these can be warning signs as well. But I think some of these key phrases are important. And, and Hannah said some of them where you can pick out a feeling of worthlessness or hopelessness if things and she kind of lets on that doesn't feel like things are going to get better. I think she says, she I just want was, everything to end. Yeah, and, she, and she said she was lost. Yeah, she said she's lost and she wants everything to end, school, her friends, and then she sort of slips but doesn't slip and she says, my life. And Mr. Porter does catch that. He says, your life, like that's pretty serious. You'd think he would pounce on it. Which he's, I think he tried to, uh, if we try to give him some credit, but she plays it off as like, oh no, that's not what I meant. And now immediately as a therapist or a trained professional, once that's been said, whether the Doesn't person, matter. yeah, whether whether they're trying to play it off as not serious or or accidental or oh, I was just kidding, there's there's no just kidding when it comes to that. No, we but yeah, you're calling somebody right then. Parents are right. being called. Yep. we're getting arrangements. And and you know, unfortunately, kids do joke about suicide. You know, there are memes where you know it's like, oh, I'd rather kill myself. But as trained professionals, we can't afford to let those jokes go unaddressed. Right. So whether whether the person was just kidding or or spoke accidentally or didn't mean it, it, you really can't afford to let it go, as unfortunately Mr. Porter did. So would you say, as your final thought here on, on our discussion, would you say that out of the 13 people that, that are on Hannah's reasons why, do you think Mr. Porter is he is he the biggest letdown? Now I'm not saying taking any away from the extremes, but is Mr. Porter the biggest fail? Well, I mean, I guess if you compare him to Bryce who raped her, yeah. um, you know, it's sort no. of hard hard to compare characters in terms of culpability, but But he was in the position to stop yes. it that day. And 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 right. So that's as a therapist, you know, it's it's worst case scenario, not to demean obviously the experience that Hannah's parents went through. But you are supposed to be the last line of defense. You are supposed to be that if if counted on, if the person is willing to talk to you, which Hannah is, you're supposed to be that person that does everything possible to prevent that bad decision from being made. And Mr. Porter doesn't do that for a lot of reasons. And I think I think that leaves I think that leaves our episode in the same place that 13 Reasons ends and that's sad. Well, very sad. And, you know, because there's this recognition that that life's not going to get easier for these kids or these families or this school. Unfortunately, the sort of cliffhanger of the end of the first season is uh, one of the other students, Alex. Um, You find out at the end of the episode with Mr. Porter that Alex has shot himself in the head and he's in critical critical condition in the hospital. Mm. And, And that is something that unfortunately happens as well with suicide in high See, school is that this it, it, sort of um contagion keep, yeah good gosh we could, this could be two hours but let me just say real quick so, so had this had this series done its job yeah as a viewer we should have seen the signs but it was a surprise yes. you yes. know what i mean yeah they didn't they didn't do the job of teaching us the signs so that we could have been screaming at the screen alex is going to do something that's right yep and the, and they sort of and hannah even says in a sort of uh prologue or postlogue it, it doesn't look like anything. And she, now her saying that is the way it felt for her. Now, trained professionals and teachers and parents need to know that there absolutely are things that depression and suicidality look like and that we, we can look for them and we can catch them. But that's how it felt for Hannah is that it felt like nothing. It looked like nothing. Okay. So we are, we're, we're across the line of where we got to put things to an end today. 
I think, Ryan, I'm going to put some really just like super upbeat and happy music under this part so that we can <laughs> so we can get out of the funk of, of what we just talked about. I might not, though, but OK, so we're going to do the ratings part of the thing and talk about are the accuracy of portrayals. And, uh, you know, I'll also rate it as just my enjoyment of it. And because that's what I do. So, Ryan, on the scale of one to five, what are we doing today? Just to go into my thinking for this, because the events taken individually are all absolutely things that happens in high school. Well, outside of the leaving tapes of as a suicide note, I had never heard of that before. Uh, uh, suicide, unfortunately, sexual assault, bullying, uh, slut shaming. These are all very real uh, realities of of life for for high schoolers and for teenagers. So to that degree, there's a lot of uh, reality being portrayed. Okay. Um, but as you know, my job is to sort of rate essentially the helpfulness um, and and sort of what positivity can be taken away. Um, I struggle with that a little bit because the scene with Mr. Porter, for example, I would absolutely show in a class I was teaching as what not to do. <laughs> you know, but in that sense, there are things that we can look at and say, okay, this person didn't do it the right way, so now we know what we could have or should have done differently. Right, but Mr. Porter's scene is still very real, too. That's right, for sure. And, and all these things happening are very real and do, yeah, so. Yeah, so this is going to feel like a cop-out, but I gave it a three because there are real things that happen in this in this TV series. You went in the middle. He went in the middle, guys. I, I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> because, you know, I, it would be easy for me to say, oh, it's a one- this is garbage. It's all just um, just dramatized for the sake of drama, for the sake of something for people to to watch to for enjoyment. But but look, there are, there are real things here. There are real things for for parents to watch. There are real things, and that's the thing that that I am, I think, optimistic about is that even though there was a lot of backlash to the show, there is no question that it started conversations. That was the third article I didn't read. <laughs> So it started conversations with schools, with parents, with students about all the same things that we're talking about. And those conversations need to happen. And, and, if and it look at us. And the conversation yeah. continues. Right. And if it took a kind of schlocky, uh, over-dramatized show to make that happen, I'm okay with it, which is why I have to split the difference. And even though I hated some of the way things were portrayed... It absolutely yeah. has value. So I'm going down the middle. Sorry, everybody, for not taking a more dramatic stance on this, but I'm, I'm splitting the uprights. Yeah, I think you got to do what's right for you. All right, so now I'm going to do my rating. Uh, we're just going to keep it stars. So, wait, you didn't rate? You didn't give your one to five? Uh, what are you doing? Three tapes? reasons. <laughs> okay, three reasons. He gave it three reasons. Three out, out of five, five reasons. reasons. Yeah. And I'm going to do, we're just going to keep it at stars. That's the easiest thing for the just rating of an enjoyment. Right, not give thumbs, it, yeah. Yeah, I give this a, God. okay, this is, this is a, oh, man, I'm going to give it a four. Okay. I'm going to give it a four as an enjoyment. It had me, the mystery part of it. I was, I mean, I was hooked on that. I mean, and the fact that it had me emotionally thinking about things in a very like, ah, sort of crazy, like screaming at my TV way. But as a series, it was a good series. It's not a five because it, it did feel like a Disney show that was just like a rated R, a rated R Disney show. But as a series, I thought, you know, it was made very well. I give it a four. I enjoyed it as a series. And I, I, you're right. I'm going to take away the fact that I'm glad it exists because we can have this conversation and try to put things together in a way that, that we think they should be. Right. So even though we wished it was portrayed in a little bit more of a responsible way, uh, it, it exists and it's popular. So if, if popular media, media can create conversations around these important issues, we'll take it. Awesome. Okay, guys, that's it today for 13 Reasons Why for me and Ryan. And just want to say thank you guys so much for the listens that we've been getting and the downloads. We're seeing, you know, people come in and leave us comments. It's been a really just awesome experience so far. But just know that you can count on every Monday a new episode to come out of Pop Psych 101. And Ryan, uh, it's been good. Thank you, Mike. I've been enjoying it. Looking forward to next week. Yes, sir. There is a lot to take away from 13 Reasons Why for anyone struggling with mental illness issues for them, their schools, or their families. 
I think it is incredibly important that we advocate for mental health education in schools and that we provide dedicated licensed clinicians in schools to ensure kids are getting the proper support they need. We need to normalize talking about these events and feelings as much as possible. Secondly, if you are experiencing any of the symptoms we described earlier or are at all considering hurting yourself or anyone else, people are available to help. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255 and is available 24-7. Finally, often in teen-centered media, adults and parents are shown as aloof, out of touch, or outright unhelpful. It is true that parents often don't know exactly what to say or how to help, but they are almost always willing to listen. Taking the first step to open up to them can be difficult, but it can also get you the help you need in times of crisis. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you to my executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PopPsych101. See the show notes for links to those pages. We also love hearing from our listeners. So if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com. We are now on all major podcast distribution channels, so please subscribe, rate, and review our show. We would greatly appreciate it. From Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.